grace to you and peace from God our Savior and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers and my sisters in Christ. There's this video of two army officers, and they make a bet. They seem to be buddies. They make a bet. One bets the other that he, can't get, that he can get him to say the number five. Have you seen this? And they, uh, in the wager, the, if he can get him to say the number five, then the, his buddy will owe him a steak dinner. And so they go, okay. And the, the first officer asks the second a couple math questions. What's one plus one? He says two. What's two plus two? He says four. What's four plus four? He says eight. What's eight plus one? He says nine. And then his friend says, aha, I got you. I told you I could get you to say the number nine. The first guy, the second guy says, no, you said five. And then he just sinks because he realized that he was tricked and that steak dinner is on him that night. Because his friend was not just asking him questions about his math skills. He wasn't just brushing up on if he made it through second grade. He's a pretty high-ranking officer. We can take for granted that he knows how to add. His friend was asking these questions to trick him, to be deceptive, to draw his trap, and he fell right for it. As you heard the words of our gospel today, it sounds like a very interesting conversation, one that we ourselves are interested in hearing, but make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the Pharisees come to Jesus with this question. They are not asking for Jesus' take, his personal opinion. They are trying to trap him when they come and say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, as modern readers, we're very interested in Jesus' answer to that question, aren't we? Because I would take for granted that everyone here has been affected by divorce in some way, or you know someone who has. So if the question on the table is, is divorce okay? Is it moral? Is it good? We are very interested in hearing Jesus' answer. But make no mistake. This is not so much a conversation about divorce. This is a trap. Because if Jesus says, yes, it is okay, it is lawful, it's fine, then the Pharisees say, all right, case closed. You're just like us. You teach the exact same thing that we do. You're no different than anyone else. But if Jesus says, no, it's not okay, it's not moral, it's not a good thing, well, then Jesus is going to make some enemies particularly Herod Antipas, who was the leader of this region that they're in while they have this conversation. And the last time somebody told Herod Antipas to his face that the divorce that he had was not lawful, was not good, you know what happened to that guy? He got beheaded because that was John the Baptist. So the Pharisees think they have Jesus between a rock and a hard place. They think they got him. They think they have him trapped. Say yes, say no, either way, you're done, Jesus. But, predictably so, Jesus has the best way to answer their question. Jesus is the perfect debater. He's the perfect teacher because he's God. But he does something that all the smart people say you should do if you're in a debate. If you're in a debate, you should appeal to common ground. 
That's what Jesus does here. He says, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus knows who he's talking to. He knows he's talking to people who read their Old Testament, who know the book of Moses called Deuteronomy, the book of the law. They know Deuteronomy chapter 24, where, where God gave the law through Moses that said, if a man is displeased with his wife, let him write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So case closed. It's in the Bible. Conversation over, right? They have Jesus. It is lawful to get a divorce, right? End of conversation. Not so fast. A son wants to see a movie with his friends. But he asks permission from mom and dad first. They look up the movie, they look up the name, they see what it's rated. It's rated R for intense violence, graphic gore, graphic nudity, and foul language. Now their son is 17. If he goes to the theater, they are legally allowed to let him go see the movie. So they're not going to tell him, no, you have to stay home. But instead, they sit him down and they explain their concern. They say, we're not so sure this is a movie you need to be seeing. We're not so sure this is going to be good for you to have these images come before your brain. What do you think, son? And he listens politely. He listens for a little bit. But once they're done talking, after a brief, awkward silence, he says, so can I go or what? And his parents sigh. The air is let out of their tires because he was just concerned about permission. Can I go or not? But they were trying to explain their concerns. They were trying to nurture their relationship with their son. They don't want to do the thinking for him. They want him to make the right decision. And here he is. He just wanted to hear the, yes, you can go. Brothers and sisters, how are we going to listen to God? Are we going to listen to God for permission or for relationship? Are we going to come to services, listen to sermons, come to Bible class, read your Bible, and talk to people about Jesus only insofar as we can keep doing the things we're doing and thinking the things we're thinking, never having to change a perspective or a habit or a thought pattern? Are we listening to God for permission or relationship? Because isn't it obvious what the Pharisees were doing? They were reading their Old Testament for permission. They wanted to get divorces. They wanted to keep doing that. And they only read so much of the Bible as said to them, yeah, sure, it's fine. They read Deuteronomy 24, the book of Moses, forgetting that God also inspired Moses to write Genesis so Jesus does one, them one even better and goes all the way back to Genesis when he says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. 
You say that to someone when you want them to cut out all the technical jargon, cut out all the complicated stuff, just bre break it down to basics for me, basic building blocks. And that's what Jesus does here. Because you can't have a conversation about divorce without talking first about what marriage even is. Marriage is not a human contract. Marriage is not a government ploy. Marriage is not an agreement you enter into for your own convenience. Marriage is something God himself came up with. Because at the creation of the world, God made Adam and he made Eve, the first two people to exist, and he brings them together. And you see in Adam's response, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's love. He brings them into this relationship, a relationship that God has designed so that two people with opposing views, with different perspectives, with different goals, dreams, likes and dislikes, now become one person, one flesh in marriage. And God designed that for their good. God invents marriage for the blessing of people who get married so that they join together in this holy union. It's not a contract. It's a calling. It's not an agreement. It's a life together with someone else. So do we really want to come to God and say, when is it cool to separate? God, I know that marriage is two people becoming one flesh, but I really want to take a knife and I want to carve those two people apart. When is it okay for me to do that? When is it okay to take a union that you have created, God, and rip it apart? Don't you see that if our question is, when is divorce okay? When is divorce moral? When is divorce fine? The answer has to be never. It is never okay. It is never chill with God that married people would walk away on each other. There is no such thing, brothers and sisters, as a God-pleasing divorce. Divorce only happens, always happens, because one or both, everybody or one of the people has walked out on what they are called to be. A husband has decided to no longer be husband to his wife or vice versa, or they're both just done being one flesh. And God is not pleased when that happens. The whole reason that Deuteronomy 24 was written was because there were Israelites in Old Testament Israel who were living in loveless marriages, husbands who treated their wives as if they were no longer married to them, and, they, and God said to them, sign the dotted line. If you're going to act that way, then send your wife away so that she's not trapped living in this abusive relationship with you. It's because their hearts were hard. But permission does not mean that it's part of God's will. Brothers and sisters, this is not quite just a conversation about marriage. This is not even just a conversation about divorce. This is a conversation about how are we going to listen to God? Are we going to listen for permission? Or are we going to listen for relationship? Because what do we stand to gain when we listen to God for relationship? 
What do we stand to gain when we give up just listening to God only for permission to keep being the people we are, keep doing the things we do, keep the habits that we have? What will happen if we open up our hearts and truly hear what God has to say? Well, good things will happen. Take marriage as your example. When we go back to Genesis, when we see what God is doing when he brings Adam and Eve together, he is blessing. We see who God really is. He is a God who invents, who comes up with things for the blessing of his children, who wants to bless, who is merciful, who is gracious. We see the God with whom we have a relationship. And not just in marriage. But when you examine what, the, what God has to say throughout his scriptures, what do you see? You see that God is your creator. He knits you together in your mother's womb, as we read in the psalm. That God loves you enough to bring you into this world, and though you strayed from him in sin, he brought you back by sacrificing his son on a cross. And that he keeps you in relationship with him through faith in him by work of the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament. You can trust God because he loves you. You can trust God because he is holy and perfect and he will not lie to you. You can trust God because he is all wise, he is all powerful. There's nothing he doesn't already know about. There's nothing that you can stump him on. God cannot be deceived, nor does he deceive. God will always tell you what you need to hear out of his love for you. You can trust God like a child. After this little episode, it says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. I have to think that Jesus was relieved to talk to some kids. After this high-flying, deep, philosophical discussion with the Pharisees, I'm sure Jesus was tired of dealing with the way adults talk and was excited to just chat with some little people. Because kids get something that we seem to lose the older that we get, don't they? Kids get trust. We adults, when we listen, when we speak, we can't help but have our own agendas. Kids have no agenda. We always listen when we read between the lines. We're always looking out for how is this person, what does this person want out of me? How might this person be deceiving me? Are they trying to get me to say five so that I have to buy them steak dinner? What's going on here? But kids, it's just open book, 24-7. My son is in the why stage. You guys remember the why stage with your kids? It gets tiring, man. Why this? Why that? I don't know. Who am I? I'm not God. But he's not interrogating me, right? He's not grilling me to see if I actually did go to college like I pretend to. No, my son loves me and he knows I love him. My son trusts me 
He wants information. He's curious. And he comes to me because he trusts me to tell him like it is. Little does he know that I like to joke around. But God does not joke around. God will tell you what it is. You can trust God like a little child. You can just take what he says. And even if it disagrees or contradicts something that you thought before, or you learn that a habit that you were holding on to before is not actually safe, is not actually for your good, and God tells you about it, or you learn that a certain way, a perspective, or way that you looked at life, you can no longer hang on to if you're going to listen to God. You can go with God's ways. You can listen to God's truth, because he's not trying to deceive you. He's not trying to get you to say five. He's not trying to lead you astray, because remember who he is. He's your creator. He's your father in heaven. He's your forgiver. He is your God. You have relationship with him. You can trust him like a little child when he tells you about the kingdom of God. That is who you are, who he is, and what he is doing for you. When he speaks of his kingdom, just trust. Trust like a child, and you will never be disappointed because of your relationship with God. Amen.